Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Today, I'm real excited about having my ex-partner. He still is my partner. He still works together with me. A little semi-retired, works a few days a week. He's a little slower than me, a little slower than me. <laughs> Mike Cerevola, a former detective uh, lieutenant, and more important than that, one of my best friends who started on the police department with me when we were little kiddies together, and we used to work communications together. <laughs> we used to answer. Well, I didn't answer the phone. I, we did radio. We sent yeah, the radio. Yeah, well, you cards. didn't start in radio. You were answering nine one one calls. I went right calls. into radio. Well, Mike. I didn't. I you... worked my way into radio. <laughs> okay. So today, what we're going to talk about? We got a couple of events going on right now, but these two events that we're going to talk about today. They lead into each other. We all know about the University of Ohio students. Idaho. Idaho. Like I said, Mike, (laughs) Idaho with an I. The University of Idaho students that were slaughtered. Now, they were cut up pretty bad. Blood was seen coming out of the apartment and all that. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to, you know, it reminded me, Mike, of 1969, I think, when I remember picking up the New York Post and see this beautiful actress, Sharon Tate, on the cover, and the story was Slaughters in Beverly Hills. She was stabbed to death, and they cut the baby at her, and then the people next door, nobody knew what was going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit, what it turned out to be. This psychopath, Charles Manson, and his families of morons there that he used as his own little army. But I think it blends in because this, let's just go into the Ohio one and then we'll flip it into the other one, Mike. Idaho. So why do I keep saying Ohio? (laughs) I don't know. Okay, Idaho. Maybe I want to go to Idaho. Okay, so what happened was there were four students, three females and one male. And what happened was that they were brutally slaughtered. When the word slaughter is used, I think this signifies what slaughter is. When they weren't just stabbed, they were cut up. And these were beautiful young students. And, you know, I I remembered many times when I investigated homicides, and one thing jumped out at me. Supposedly, there was a dog that was killed and skinned or something. But you yourself, Mike, remember a lot of cases that you worked on where these lunatics who were murderers, they abused animals yep. for some reason, right? Yep. Many times you'll see in the past of uh, known serial killers when you really drill down into their madness that they would start by abusing animals. You know, the, the great, if you call it great, but the advantage on this, a lot of people who are listening audience love investigations. They all like being detectives. But in a homicide, there's three major principles that you have to answer. And this was taught to me by an old detective. And it was motive, why it happened, whether it was a psycho, jealousy, or just a random thing. Means, could the person... Uh, been there and the opportunity, opportunity where the person didn't have an alibi, which that person who you arrest for the murder. So if you get these three things filled, Mike, you kind of put the puzzle together. Now, the important thing on this one is the advent of today 
with the evidence. This was a gruesome scene. There's a lot of physical evidence there, and they're being pretty close-lipped. Yep. I just didn't like them eliminating anybody. I've never, as a homicide investigator, I've never eliminated anybody. All I've done is put it to the side. Until you arrest the person that did it, I don't think anybody should be eliminated. I agree with you 100%. You know, I've heard that a few people have been completely ruled out. Unless they have an ironclad alibi, they're seen on video, I wouldn't rule anybody out. And And you gotta, when you go into a case like this, you gotta have a clean slate. You can't have any preconceived notions. You have to let the chips fall where they may, and nobody's ruled out, you know, you might like one guy more than another guy or a group, but you know it's a little early to rule anybody. Well, out. I mean, the one that jumps up is the one I was involved with the Jean Benet case yeah. when they eliminate the mother and the father right. on touch DNA on a pajama. Now, a lot of people don't understand what touch DNA is. If I touch your clothes right now. You got my DNA on there. I mean, it's so defined now, the DNA, like this person or persons, it could be more than one that committed this slaughter. There's going to be a lot of evidence, physical, including DNA. And we've come to a place now in criminology where DNA is so advanced, Mike. Oh, yeah. We're going to find who touched that towel, that fold that towel in Hong Kong when it was first made. So this is one of the advantages they have. Also, you know, again, they eliminated the in the Joan Bonet case, because I'm very familiar. I actually went out to that house that time, Mike, yep. where they eliminated the mother and father. I have done a show about it. We should do another show about it where I just, you know, the contention is that the mother and father and the brother, brother had nothing to do with it. But I have my own conception of what happened and I stand by it. And a lot of things didn't come out, including the fact, Mike, about this young boy hitting his sister with a golf club, smashing her in the head. So we'll go on that another time. Right now, I want to focus on the Idaho students massacre. And I want to talk about just what we've seen. And they've been very close lips in an investigation. You don't want to put too much out of my right. Michael, when you're investigating mass homicide, which I did with the Palm Sunday and you, you don't want to give away your cards where you're going with it. You're exactly right. You don't want to put out too much information to the public. The Idaho state police and the local police department in Moscow, Idaho, they're in a tough spot because The public, the people who live in that community, they're scared to death right now because, you know, they don't know if it's a killer or a group of killers that could be breaking into their house right now. Anything can happen. So right now the police are in a tough spot as far as any information that they put out about their, you know, the intricacies of their investigation. But they also have to put something out to try to quell the terror that's in the hearts of all the people that live in that community. Right. But, you know, now for what we know, because we only know what we hear is that two of them were killed on one floor, two were killed on another floor. And then there were two other people in the house that were not killed. That were not touched. And they eliminated eliminated them already. There's no sign of force entry. I'm only going by what I hear like you do, Michael. We're really handicapped here, but we can only balance out. And then it came up about 3 o'clock in the morning. Two of them, I think on their cell phones, called the same number like 10 times. 
Something that has to do, what was that, the Coke dealer? What was it, Mike? We don't know. We don't know. No one knows. But I think that got eliminated, too. It's following it. I think they eliminated that. that. But as early as a few hours ago, I had heard through the press that one of the victims had a stalker. So now I think they're honing in on that stalker to see if he was available to have committed the crime, where he was, is he alibi? And, and there was the one guy that was sitting in the truck out front. I read that about there was one guy, and then he, he kind of took off, he ran away. Was that? The, but why, if he's stalking that one girl, why murder four of them like that? Yeah. Well, you know, when you have multiple knife wounds, that's usually indicative of rage. You yeah. Know? And it's usually personal. You want to get up close. You want to see the terror in their face. And multiple stab wounds is very, very connected with rage and the crime being it's personal to the killer. Right. And it was obvious that they awoken probably when they were being stabbed because there are, from what I read, yeah, defensive, defensive wounds on wound. the hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of like weird that it's been going on so long with nothing, Mike. Yeah. And the thing that strikes me is that the two girls who were spared and that's, you know, say they slept through the whole thing, how could you kill four people, multiple stab wounds in each, and nobody screams? There's no sounds. The other two and girls- And house ain't that woke big. And didn't wake up. You know, I'm not quite certain that this was perpetrated by a single killer. Mm-hmm. I think the possibility exists that there were at least two or multiples involved in this action. Completely open. And again, yep. to our listening audience, you know, Mike has a history of investigating some of the biggest murder cases and, you know, uh, myself involved with the last, the largest mass murder in New York history to <laughs> 9-11 was the Palm Sunday Massacre. Again, there was a motive, was the cocaine, the means, he had the accessibility and the opportunity where we was there, where we saw the witnesses. So you break these things down into a puzzle. But today, the detectives are equipped with so much more than we had. Mike, yeah, right? yeah. That Well, first of all, support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. They have a huge advantage with the DNA, as you spoke of earlier. We didn't have that back in our days. Yeah. And the databases and the computers. And we would go looking for a witness, and you'd be, say, in, in Brownsville looking for a witness. All the mailboxes were kicked in. You know, do you remember oh, what yeah. we had? Yeah, yeah. We had Coles directories yeah. for reverse what listings a Coles, what and a Coles, addresses. What a Coles, they, yeah. they, 
big, big books where you'd look up the phone number right. and then you would see where it went to what address. Right. Well, you know what, Mike? It was a great time to be a detective. It, well, Mike. you know what? That's where you learn the job and we use shoe leather as opposed to computers and things of that. I mean, it's a great advantage yeah. detectives have to. But this is a case with the Idaho. I keep saying Ohio. I said it on my show the other morning. I'm sorry. I said Ohio. I don't. I like Ohio, but <laughs> Idaho I like. Last time I spoke to someone in Idaho, it was Mark Wahlberg, and he was in the swimming pool. He did FaceTime me. He's got some beautiful ranch in Idaho. Yeah. So that's what brings me to nice mm-hmm. things about Idaho. Right. But then all of a sudden, when you have a mass murder slaughter like this, but this case is very interesting. I just hope that something comes out to the public to calm them down in some sense where they have some sort of thing to quell the fear. You know, Mike? Now, one of the other things that is an aspect of this case, these victims were very, very active on social media. Mm -hmm. So somebody might have gotten a, you know, a vendetta against one or multiple of these girls that they follow on TikTok or, mo- you know, social yeah. media, Twitter, and they whatever. Were beautiful. They were beautiful and, gals. Yeah. And these victims may have not even known this person because he just, just a follower and An becomes obsession. obsessed. And the girls were very attractive. Yeah. You know, before the end of the show, I like people understand, Mike and I are today are working on murder cases that are some of them back to what years, Mike? I'm working on one now that stems back to 1981. Wow. So in reality, Mike and I, we were together when we were kids, 19, and we continue. And Mike is one of the finest detectives, and he heads up a lot of our investigations now on any of these serious crimes or cases. And right now at Bo Deedle Associates, people can come on if they have any questions, any cases, you could go. Go right on to www.investigations.com, www.investigationswithinvest.com, or you can call the office, 212-557-3334, Investigations and Security. On that note, let's bring it back. 1969, Mike? 1969, August. Okay, so I'm going on the A train, and it's on Leftwich Boulevard in Richmond Hill. I'm getting on the A train to go to this construction site. There were these tall buildings going up, Tower A and Tower B. It was the World Trade Center. And I was a a concrete laborer at the time, but I was able to work on a permit as an iron worker, Local 40, on the World Trade Center. And I'll never forget the front page of the post had this beautifully, hauntingly beautiful woman, Sharon Tate. I didn't even really know who she was, but she was on there, this beautiful woman, and she was murdered, and her stomach was cut out. She was eight or nine months pregnant. Eight and and a half months. And they cut the baby out. And then there was another attack. Other people, there were two killed, I think, there, right, Mike? Yeah, the LaBiancas, Lino LaBianca, who was a supermarket executive, and his wife, they were killed in their home a short distance away. But the first murders took place in the Hollywood Hills at the home of Roman Polanski. He was married to Sharon Tate. That was mm. his baby. He was in Europe filming a movie. He was, he was a f- molesting a young girl. Well, probably. who knows? But he, I know he was barred from coming back to the U.S. because of that. Otherwise, he was going to be arrested. But Sharon Tate and four others, Abigail Folger was one of the victims, and she was the heiress to Folger's Coffee. Yeah, and then I think Jay Sebring was killed, yeah. Abigail Folger, yeah. and Folger's Coffee. Right. And how do you pronounce that name, Warshick? 
Wojcik, Frykowski. Yeah, and they were the first three that were killed. And then all of a sudden, the LaBiancas. Well, there were five killed in the Tate murder. Five altogether were killed the first night. And then on the 9th, going into the 10th of August, they went and killed the LaBiancas in their home. But Manson didn't go. He instructed Tex Watson to go with the other women to do the Tate job. And then he told them, make it as brutal as possible. And then the second night, he said, I want to go and show you what to do. Mm-hmm. But he never participated, you know, physically in the murders. It was Tex Watson and the women. And then Susan Atkins, yeah. Patricia Quinn, Quinn Winkley, Linda Kasabian, Crenwinkle. So they left this spawn ranch yeah. and they had this whole thing together. It was a cult. Yeah. And now when it happened, no one knew what's happening. And they put stuff on the walls, making it look like it was white supremacist. Pig. Yeah. Yeah. In and, blood. And so what happens is this is now an investigation that was worldwide kind of similar to this. People are terrorized at that time. And mm-hmm. now the investigation begins. And for some reason, the detectives there didn't have really any kind of information. And they were tracking down any and all leads. And again, we didn't have the DNA that right. we had now. And as far as when the investigation started, Mike, if you're familiar with it, I think they started to go back as far as what was going on on the Spawn Ranch, I think, Michael. Mm -hmm. And they started to investigate what was going on. And then they were finding out that these gals were like zombies, like like zombie type. They would follow anybody. They were begging for money on streets and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he completely controlled their minds to have, you know, I mean, these women didn't start out to be to be killers, but living with a guy like Charles Manson and allowing him to control their thoughts and their actions. And they, as you said, like zombies, mm. I want you to go out and kill. And they just went without questioning it and went and did some horrible, horrible things. Yeah, I mean, let's bring our listening audience in, too, and I'm going to read verbatim about Watson and the three women. They arrived at the Silo Drive just past midnight, Mike, Mm -hmm. on August 1969, because I remember it was hot when I read the newspaper. And then Watson climbed the telephone pole near the entrance to the gate and cut the phone line to the house. So they were really premeditating this thing, what's going to happen. The group backed their car into the bottom of the hill that led right up to the estate, right. and then all of a sudden, they thought the gate might be electrified or equipped with an alarm, cut, so they cut the cut uh, the phone wires, and they, they climbed cut. through a brushy embankment to the right of the gate to enter the grounds. Now, so, well, let me just stop you there. Yeah. Here's an interesting note. Why did they pick that house? Well, one of the reasons may have been that Manson was an aspiring musician, Mm -hmm. and he tried to sell himself and some of his music to this record producer who, before Polanski and Tate Mm -hmm. rented that house, lived in that house. So Manson had a hate for that house, and that might have you know, uh, been one of the contributing factors that led him to choose that particular location. A lot of people don't know also when they were when they were in front of the building, Michael, guess what happens? All of a sudden some headlights approached, right? And all of a sudden Watson ordered the girls to lay down. Yeah. He comes out and who do you think it was? He it was the 
It was a caretaker, yep. William Garrison. Yep. He lived in a guest house, and Watson leveled a twenty-two caliber revolver right. at him. And he begged him. And he begged him not to hurt. All of a sudden, he said, I won't say anything. Watson lunged at him with a knife, giving him defensive slash wound. So the incident was occurring right there on there, and all of a sudden, he killed him. Did you know that? Yeah. He was yeah. killed in front of the house. Yep. Then the Watson— you know, cut the screen of the window to the house, and he told Casbian, whatever her name is, to keep watch down the gate. She walked over to Perrin's car and waited. Watson removed the screen, entered through the window, and let Atkins and Crinwickley uh. in through the front door. He whispered to Atkinson, Atkinson, awoke whatever her name was, Faruski, who was sleeping on a living room couch. Watson kicked him in the head, and Faruski asked him who he was and what he was doing here. Watson replied, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do devil business. Man, this is getting weird, weird, yeah, weird. Yeah. And this is verbatim from the police reports and yep. all that, after really big investigations. So this is pretty much true story here now. Atkins found the house, three other occupants would... Kerwinkles and forced them into the living room, Mike. Watson then began to tie Tate and Sebring together mm -hmm. by their necks with a rope, yeah, which brutal. he had bought. Then he slung it over one of the living room's ceiling beams. It had those open beams. Sebring protested the murder's rough treatment of the pregnant Tate. Eight and a half months well, pregnant, pregnant yeah. these animals. So Watson shot him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folger then was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for yeah. her purse, and she gave the murderers twenty dollars. Seventy dollars. Yeah. yeah. Watson then stabbed Sebring seven times. Mike. Okay. So then all of a sudden, moving on, and then Ferowski there, all of a sudden, his hands been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began struggling with Atkins who stabbed at his legs with a knife. He fought his way out the front door onto the porch. But Watson, he ran after him. He caught up to him. He struck him in the head with the gun multiple times and then stabbed him repeatedly and shot him twice. Now, Linda Kasabian, she was the driver, and she heard horrifying sounds coming from the house. Yeah. She was in the driveway. And she told Atkins that someone was coming in an attempt to stop the murders inside the house because Folger escaped from Krenwinkel and fled out a bedroom door to the pool area. But then Krenwinkel yeah. pursued her and caught her on the front lawn, and she stabbed her and tackled her to the ground. And Watson came and finished her off. They stabbed her a total of 28, 28 times. 28 times, my God. Yeah. And then On what the happened yep. with Ferowski there? Well, Ferowski suffered 51 stab wounds. Horrific, horrific and murder. And then he tried to crawl across the lawn. Yeah. And what happens? He got uh, struck in the head with Watson, you know, pistol whipped him yeah. across the head. And he hit him so hard that the barrel of the gun broke off. Wow. And one side of the wooden gun grip 
broke off. That now, was a piece now, of evidence. Now, this is there. the part that's really, that gets my stomach. And I wish yeah. I wish Manson was still alive so I could strangle him to death because <laughs> I could do that. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> yes, I could strangle him to death because this pig then, what he did was Tate, Sharon Tate, this beautiful gal, eight and a m- half months pregnant, pleaded, pleaded to, for her to live long enough to give birth to a child and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child. But both Atkins and Watson stabbed Tate 16 times, killing her. According to Watson, Manson had told the woman to leave a sign, something witchy. Yep. And then Atkins wrote what, Mike? Pig in blood. On the front, on the front door. door. Yeah. yeah. And then Atkins claims she did this to copycat the murder scene of Gary Hinneman in order to get the Manson family member, Bobby Bosolori, out of jail, yeah. who was in custody for the murder of the political piggy in human blood. So what they were doing is they were setting it up. They had somebody who was incarcerated, and they were going to use this as an excuse, Michael, to get him out of jail. Yeah. You know, so they take five lives in the most heinous, brutal, you know, way, stabbing, shooting. You can't even imagine what was going through these victims' minds when this was going on. But they didn't have enough. They went out on the very next night, and they went out looking for more victims. Now, how Um, did they come upon the Yelobiankas, Michael? It was in the area. And Kasabian, once again, acted as the driver. And they, and they, they attended a party that was next well, door. Well, they, they located the home was next door to a home where the Manson families had attended a party prior right. to that. Right, right, so right. So they, they knew there was a, a fancy house next door to where they had previously and been. And then in the investigation, according to Atkins' statements and Casbian, uh, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupancies. Now you got yeah. Manson directly involved. Yeah. yeah. Then Watson's Creedwinkle and Van Houten went in. Watson claims in his autobiography yeah, that Manson book. went up alone and returned to take him up to the house with him. Manson pointed out a sleeping man through the window, and the two entered through an unlocked back door. Yeah, that's yeah. why you got to keep your friggin' doors locked. Watson claims Manson roused the sleeping Leno Labianco, Leno Leno, yeah. Labianco from the couch at gunpoint and had Watson bind his hands with a leather strap. And then Rosemary, the wife, was brought into the living room from the bedroom, and Watson covered the couple's heads with pillowcases, which he bound in place with lamp cords. Manson left, and Creerwinkle and Van Houten entered the house. Go ahead, Mike. Now, Watson had been complaining to Manson earlier about the inadequacy of the previous night's weapons. He didn't think they had enough firepower, firepower, Mm -hmm. enough knives. And Watson sent the woman to the kitchen in the bedroom of the LaBianca uh, house where Rosemary LaBianca had been returned. While he went to the living room and began stabbing Lino LaBianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. Mm. The first thrust went into his throat. I mean, how horrific was this? Watson heard a scuffle in the bedroom, and he went and he found Rosemary LaBianco 
keeping the women at bay by swinging a lamp. lamp. They tied the lamp, the electrical cord, around her neck. And she was swinging the lamp around to try to keep these animals away from her. And he stabbed her several times with the bayonet. Twelve times. And then then all of a sudden, he then carved the word, a word in the woman's body, war, W-A-R. Watson returned to the bedroom, found Creamwinkle stabbing Rosemary with a knife from the kitchen. Van Houten stabbed her approximately 16 times in the back and exposed Botox. Van Houten claimed that trial that Rosemary LaBianca was already dead during the stabbings. Evidence showed that many of the 41 stab wounds had, in fact, been effective. That day, she was stabbed 41 times after she was dead. Post-mortem, yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he cleaned off his bayonet and showered. And then while Creamwinkle rose, and she wrote, rise and death to the pigs on the walls. He would go back to the pigs again to try to throw the investigators off. She gave Lino LaBianca 14 puncture wounds with an ivory-handed, two-tinted carving fork. I mean, what was she, a turkey? She also wrote in blood, Helter Skelter, on the refrigerated door. Right. Meanwhile, now a lot of people don't, don't remember that stating. Helter Skelter was a basis of a book where they promoted having a race war against the whites and the blacks, Michael. Yeah. That's what yeah. that was all about. And then I tell you what, this was probably one of the biggest cases in American history. We all know it. We were around at that time. And then the results were all these women got convicted and Manson got convicted. And the great part about this, Manson took the pipe in 2017. He died from a cardiac arrest. And that was the end of Manson. And all these young uh, assistants that he had there, the point was that we look at this case, and again, the only reason why I brought this case up, Michael, was the slaughter side of it. That just gave me a really eerie uh, remembrance of that 1969 in August. And again, these cases, we're just hoping, and we'll have update on what's going on yeah. in Idaho yeah. on another one of our reports. But I'd like everyone to stay tuned Keep downloading. We'll be bringing you some really, really interesting insights. And what better insights than to listen to Bo and Mike, Mike, the lieutenant, detective, lieutenant, Bo, the homicide detective. We could bring you into the real insight. You don't have to listen to some fugazi guy, that investigative reporter that never responded to mass homicides like Mike and myself. And we're going to bring you anything. If you have any questions about any of the things that we talk about, you can email me at... Bo, B-O, at investigationswithaness.com or investigations.com. That's investigations with an S. And again, if you have any kind of cases that you want us to get involved in or any kind of investigation, doesn't have to be murder. We do them all. Also, we have a whole security division. Remember, www.investigations.com or you can give us a call, 212-557-3334. And we do not just local, we do worldwide investigations. And keep listening. I'm really excited to hear. We have over 130,000 people downloading our true crime stories. And Mike and I will be back next week for another interesting case. And I want to wish everybody, you, Michael, a happy Thanksgiving to you Thanksgiving and your family. To you and too, all you listeners out there, God bless you. Everyone have a good Healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Until next week. Thank you.